When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I'm worried driving the car with obviously NCT test. I'm not going to give this any more credence. I'm not going to let that person win. I will not be a victim. We have nothing to put the patient onto, so they're safer on an ambulance trolley. What I did in the morning, TJ, is crack. It's like yarding. Join the conversation. Call 0818 there is a dog on the loose on the road between Thoreau and Healy's Bridge. It doesn't say what kind of a dog. Big dog, small dog, fat dog, thin dog. Doesn't say, just a dog. Just a dog. Uh, on the loose, on the road between Thoreau and Healy's Bridge. And could people approach with care? If it's your dog and he's gone missing, like he ran out when you were doing the bin or something, as they will, he's on the road between, uh, or, or she's on the road in these areas of equal opportunity, even for dogs. <laughs> Thoreau and Healy's Bridge. Morning all, 0818 96, 96, 96 is our number. Later this morning, I just happened to mention last week about what you should do for amusement when you have one of those rotisserie chickens and, and you've done with them and you've taken all everything off them that the family can enjoy put it out the back in this little silver tray and watch the crows uh, and the magpies and, and the, whatever other birds are around come and pick it away it's, it's most amusing to watch most amusing to watch that prompted a call actually from Noreen she says she has a bird garden now I am Intrigued to know what a bird garden actually is. So I'll talk to Noreen a little bit later. Also, I'll be speaking to a woman whose rapist has been released from prison. And her biggest fear is A, that he'll do it again, or B, he will find her. That's her biggest fear. Talk to her later on this morning. But firstly, and also, also coming up, the shortage of GPs and how you're going to be waiting longer to see the doctor because the under sevens now have a GP visit card or are entitled to one. That is all coming on this Monday. But first, doctors are in short supply, nurses are in short supply, teachers are in short supply. Aaron Wolf at Clush to Eamon Reach. you haven't had a problem filling your own vacancies this year, I think, Aaron, but, but there is a huge shortage out there. Good morning. 
Oh, uh, good morning, PJ. Yeah, but as you said, there's a shortage of nurses, there's a shortage of GPs. There's going to be a shortage of every every um, uh, profession in the future if we don't fix the teacher shortage first, because there simply isn't going to be enough teachers to teach the children we have. Why aren't there? Um, why are there such a shortage of teachers? I think there's a, there's, a, there's a few reasons, really. Teaching. You ask any young person, do you want to become a teacher? And a lot of them will say, Oh God, no. You know, and they'll all remember how they treated their um, substitute teachers or things like that. We ourselves remember how we treated teachers. Um, the workload of teaching has increased. The pay is not great in comparison to what it is in the private sector now. Um, the two-year PME is off-putting. You know, it takes six years to become a qualified teacher now. Yeah, back um, in the so day, the and it's not, just, it's not yesterday since I was in college, and I've no doubt you're younger than me, but a lot of my friends went through college with me, did their degree and then stayed back for a year to do the H-dip, as it was called then, just in case they wanted yes. to go teaching. That's all changed now. That's all changed. That's been changed since 2014. So it was changed there based on what's called the Finnish model. So they looked at Finland and they said they do a two-year teacher training there and that's what we copied here. The difference being that in the Finnish model, the government paid for teacher training and the teacher, the trainee teacher, would be paid as well to teach the classes. We have a model where you go for two years after your three or your four-year degree. You go for two years into college. You must pay for those two years and you don't get paid as a teacher either. So on top of all that, you must pay for your accommodation, you must pay for the cost of living, and you must juggle a very difficult college course with probably having a part-time job as well. And it is my belief and the belief of the ASGI, the Association of Secondary School Teachers Ireland, who passed a motion calling on the government to reduce the PME back to one year, just in this time of emergency. Mm. Um that it, it, it's forcing people out of the teaching market. So as you said, you've, you've done four years in college. To do one more year, you could maybe do it financially, but to do two. Mm-hmm. And as well, it's stopping maybe people that have are mature students, you know, that have tried the private sector and then have felt, you know, they always felt they wanted to try teaching. They've done the private sector and they felt, you know, I really do want to go teaching. They could take a year off a career break to do the PME, the HDIP, but it's difficult to take two mm. years off and go back into... You, you can see where so it creates problem. problems with specialist subjects, like, say, chemistry. I know that uh, Mr. O'Corkery, Colin O'Corkery, out at uh, Nefa in Carrie Navarra, he can't get a chemistry teacher because the, the graduates are being whipped up by, by private industry, like you say, for nice, handy salaries. Whereas, who's going oh, to well, go back absolutely. to college? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if the home ec, even home ec, we, we, I mean, there's a story that the, in the home ec colleges, the private industry goes in because home ec teachers, you know, well, like all teachers, they're very well qualified and very well trained, but they're snapped up and sent off into the private sector. Another thing where there's competition for us is teaching jobs abroad. Right. I mean, you can go off to Abu Dhabi or Dubai and you can work there for a year. You can work there for two years. You can get tax-free grants to do it. Yes. And the young people are leaving this country in droves to yes. do that. Yes. Like, so, so ha, it's the pinpoint areas. Have you had problems filling roles this year at all? Oh, we have, of course. We have. We have. Um, so, you know, you, you advertise a position. Um, the number of candidates coming for it are a lot lower, and there's a lot more um, fighting over, you know, the part, the candidates kind of interviewing you now as much as anything. You yeah. know, they in the teaching market, you can really choose where you want to teach. Yeah. Yeah, there was uh, so a piece, it, it, it has been difficult. There was a piece in the Sunday Times suggesting as well that, right, if I'm coming to Cork to teach at uh, Clodagh to Eamon Reach and I'm from Limerick, where am I going to live? 
and, and this is if and you know Cork has a problem but Dublin has one hell of a problem you know mm. um, they, they most definitely would be classes not covered in Dublin yeah. and as you're saying there's a practical subjects there will be schools that will have to drop subjects from the curriculum and that has to be looked at straight away because we must invest in education teaching and you know, teacher bashing is a massive thing and people say but your teachers are grand they get three months off but if teaching is such a wonderful profession why is no one going into teaching there's a thing because in reality, there's a key question Aaron you just said it there and this thing is trotted out all the time ah sure let's look at teaching three months off in the summer three weeks off at Christmas two weeks off at Easter you finish work at four o'clock why isn't people yeah, queuing up to get in? Yes, because people in reality and COVID showed us that when we had homeschooling, people couldn't wait to get their children back to school because it is a very tough and demanding job. And, you know, people that think teaching finishes at four, it certainly doesn't. You've got your corrections, you've got your planning and people remember, well, I'm sure I had a teacher back along. It is so different now. The teaching profession, you know, with the inspectorate, the pressures put on teaching, classroom-based assessments. It is a very full-on position. And children are not the same as they were 20, 30 years ago. There's that great cartoon where maybe 30 years ago, the parent would have said to the child, explain these results. But now <laughs> at a parent-teacher meeting, the, the parent is saying to the teacher, you explain these results. <laughs> yeah, and the teacher one. almost says, but what about what about your child? <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a huge... The, the government has to do a massive PR campaign on making teaching more attractive and getting the best graduates because you want people going into the profession who can inspire young people. Like you, We want the best graduates, surely, teaching. You want the best people in the country teaching our children. And we will all remember fantastic teachers we had that really inspired us. And you're not just teaching subjects. You're teaching everything. You're, you're educating students and having a moral compass. You're teaching them how to be act, you know, socially active. Teaching is a vital profession and you need the very best people in those jobs. If you have a full-time position on offer, let us say for a maths teacher, because I know maths is, is a place that where yes. schools struggle to find teachers. Full-time teaching post for a maths teacher, what will they earn to start, Aaron? Well, this is a very this is a very difficult question because what happens is teachers, okay, teachers are paid um, for the classes they teach. So you, you're you're timetabled for twenty two hours. Right. Well, it's actually twenty one twenty, but anyway, look, it, we'd say it's twenty two hours. You're paid to be in the classroom, but on top of that, then you are expected to do the corrections, the parent teaching. There's a lot more hours, but you're paid twenty two hours now. A school with a new position, they do have their timetable. They could have a thousand hours altogether in the timetable, but they might not need 22 hours of maths. They might need a combination of subjects or um, they don't have a combination. They just maybe have 12 hours of maths. And so then the contract is offered to someone for 12 hours. So the starting salary of a teacher looks quite attractive, you know, on the scale. It could be something like 36,000 you start on. Mm. But that is for 22 hours. But right. you could be working half that. So the quick sum is half, 36,000. That's what you're on if you're working an 11-hour contract. And you could keep that 11-hour contract for the next three years until the school needs more mats. And that's 11 hours in the classroom. It doesn't take into account the hours you spend preparing for those 11, correct? Absolutely. On the corrections. So for like English, it's a killer. I was an English teacher for years in correcting. You have 30 students in your classroom and they all produce 30 essays. Each essay is six pages long and you take them away and you correct them. You could be hours correcting. And then you have the preparation and then you have the staff meetings and then you have, um, you know, 
um, extracurricular activities. If you're involved in those, they are voluntary, but again, schools rely on voluntary activities. So you could be coaching the soccer team after school. There is so much going on. Mm. You're may may raise a question hours. here, Aaron, um, and I, 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 yes. I, I can see a lot of people might agree with As a teacher, as a principal, is it a bit harder now to deal with parents than it used to be? Well, I wasn't there in the, <laughs> you know, I, I, I would say, I, well, I'm only relatively new. But you would imagine, yes, most certainly, like we have all changed as a people. We know a lot more, you know, we all know our rights. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not a bad thing, but it can be very difficult for all of us as parents to think that um, my Johnny isn't the good boy that Johnny says he is. Mm-hmm. And you, what you be trying to do in meetings is trying to explain to parents that you know, you know maybe Johnny's presenting himself differently in school than he does at home. But your natural instinct as a parent is to defend your child, yeah. and I'll do whatever I can to treat my child the best way possible. That's not always very helpful. Mm-hmm. And so meetings like that can be very, very difficult when it comes down to discipline. And you do like to take the teacher's side because they say they are the adult in the room, but the child says, but that's not what happened. And the principal does become a kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of mediating between the two. But, uh, and, and going on from that, we don't even, we, but we don't just have a teacher shortage. We have a principal shortage in the country. Oh. No teachers want to be principals. Why not? At all. Why not? Because it's not worth it. <laughs> you know, it's not worth it. Well, I love it. I think it's a fantastic job, but very worth anyone looking at principal jobs and the number of times they're re-advertised. Because they're saying it's not worth the money. Your the salary is not worth it. Um, why would you be putting up? You've got a, you know. Why would you be dealing with students, parents, staff? Um, so yeah, it's not. It, principalships have not become a very attractive position within the teaching profession. Wow. Um, you are snowed under with admin. Absolutely. Like you're, it's very rare you can actually leave your office as a principal. And there's some days you begin to think, think, God, is this what I went into teaching for? To sit in my office filling out um, spreadsheets for the Department of Education. Is the role of what used to be called the the teaching principal, is that pretty much gone, Aaron? Well, I uh, the, the teach in, in secondary school you you're, you're never a teaching principal. In a secondary school, when you become principal, you you are freed up from your teaching duties. Mm. Um, so you become you know that that I'm not sure about primary. I think primary no. has a, a mixture of the two. But in secondary, when you become a principal, you don't have to teach anymore. But I suppose the word comes from you're the principal teacher and your focus must be on learning and teaching that's the role of the principal in the school is to improve learning in the school and to improve teaching but what principals find is we are constantly distracted from our core focus of learning and teaching and we have to instead concentrate on insurance claims um, discipline issues HR issues funding requests to the department Um, this summer for me I've spent the entire summer chasing up the department and trying to get building work done in the school you know, yeah. trying to get repairs fixed. Yeah. And it yeah. can be very, very difficult. You're meeting, you, you must tender projects, you must meet with consultants, yeah. um, you must employ architects. Yeah. And then you do think, you know, God, is this at all any relevance to learning and teaching? And uh, the joint managerial body, which is the head of all the secondary school teachers, you know, it's, it's our advisory body. They called on the Minister of Education and said, you know, you do have a principal crisis and you must look at that. You must look at the role of the principal and to try and encourage teachers to become principles. It, 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 sounds, it sounds a bit like, Aaron, that really the principal doesn't need to be a teacher at all, that in fact they should be a professional manager and let teachers teach and principals manage. 
Well, and then see that's what we don't want. Like, but you, you are right. You know, when you go and do your your masters in education, you know that was always a straight. You'd you'd become a teacher. You'd you do your HDF. You'd get a masters in education. Now we do a masters in education and leadership, uh, a leadership and management. So we don't want to be managers. We want to be leaders. You know, so there is the 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 structure in a school where we want to appoint managers within the school. Teachers become managers, but the principal wants to be a leader. The principal wants to be able to inspire and try and get the best out of their staff and the best out of the students. But it would be a very dull job if we become managers. We we want to inspire and come up with new ideas and new way of doing things. And that's when you really get job satisfaction from being a principal. It's it's something we might come back to on another day, Aaron. We we've gone way away from the shortage of teachers. I appreciate yes. that. Looking forward to the last. And briefly looking forward to the new year. When are you all starting to come back? We're back on the 23rd of August, so next Wednesday our sixth years are back in and our staff are back in. And I suppose a lot of a lot of schools, principals and deputies, we'll all be back this week now getting ready, you know, getting the timetable published. Right. But yeah, it's it, the, the, the summer flu and now we're, we're all back into it. So the poor children are going back to school probably uh, next week in the you week You may after. be sure the weather will pick up just in time. You've just told us when the weather will pick up around the 22nd or 23rd of August. Aaron Wolf, Principal of Cloister, Eamon Reish. Thank you. 0818 Nobody wants to be a teacher these days. Because if you come out of college with your nice degree in chemistry, biology, physics, maths, there's lots of people who will snap you up for t- double the salary that you could be, you could get if you want to be a teacher. 0818969696. I'm into nothing about principals and, and all that. We'll come back to it another day, maybe. And parents and their attitudes to principals. Aaron's a diplomat above all of the things. Aaron's a diplomat. But I'd say. You have to put up with such not a garbage in your office. For my little Johnny would not do that. Yes, he would, and he did. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's ninety six Looking forward to talking to Noreen in a little while about what a bird garden is because I've never heard of it before. Um, she has specifically designed her garden for the birds. That's coming up in a while. But since last week now, you can apply for your seven-year-old to get a free GP visit card. And it's going up to eight as well. Uh, seven and eight-year-olds now. So every child under eight is entitled to free GP Visits, which is desirable in any system, I would have thought. Dermot Quinlan is medical director of the Irish College of General Practitioners. Um, Dermot, very desirable, but it's going to cause problems, I think you're saying. Good morning. Good, good morning, PJ. Certainly the Irish College of GPs welcomes the extension of the medical card for children aged six and seven. So it's, it's, it will move from being the under sixes to the under eights. So children aged eight currently won't be eligible. Uh, so it's children aged six and seven. And we, we welcome that. Um, many parents struggle to pay uh, their GP bills for sick children. And Ireland is an outlier in that most European countries provide free access to GPs as a, as a right. So, you know, we welcome this. It will it will definitely cause challenges. You know, we are extending this to almost 80,000 children. We know when the under sixes came in that the consultation rate for the under sixes increased by 30%. So we anticipate that we will have a similar increase in consultation rates. And the big challenge is we simply don't have the GP capacity to absorb this. 
Um, however, you know, we are working with the HSE and the Department of Health. Uh, we have two um, programs to increase the number of GPs. We are rapidly and very substantially increasing the number of GPs in training. Back in 2015, we had 155. This year, we have 285. Mm. Next year, we have 350. Uh, so that's a very substantial increase, but it is a four-year training program, and it will take four years for these wow. extra numbers to come online. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people forget that, Dermot, you know, that you don't just come out of medical school, do your year and a bit in a hospital, jobbing around the place, and then go and put up a brass plate. Can't do that. Can't do that, no. Uh, we have, like, we have, it's a really good four-year training program in the UK, in the NHS. It's a three-year program, and they would like to move to a four-year program because, really, like, the world of medicine has changed and evolved so much that it does require a four-year training program. Um, but the, the challenge for us is that it, does take four years from when people start. So the HSE then have funded a, a novel program, which is where we support doctors coming in from outside the EU um, to work in suit. These are experienced, highly experienced GPs, um, and they come and work in GP practices for two years. At the end of that, like over that time, we give them a lot of education supports. And at the end of that time, they sit their Irish GP exams and hopefully will join our Irish GP workforce and stay here. So. We, like again, with the support of the HSE, we will have 100 doctors from outside the EU uh, participating in this program by the end of this year. And we hope to very substantially expand it next year. And these doctors are particularly going into rural areas. And we know that there's a major shortage of GPs all across Ireland. It's particularly acute in rural areas. Talking to Dr. Fiona down in West Cork about what happened to her locum on holidays and all that a few weeks ago would raise the hair in your head. 78,000 children, dear Mother, what will come under the umbrella with this new expansion of the card. Is there evidence out there from previous expansions that it leads to more appointments? Uh, it's certainly, certainly we have a really good published research from within Ireland showing that when the under sixes came in, the consultation rate went up 30%. Right. Uh, so we anticipate the same will happen. Now, the important thing to realise, PJ, is that people bring their children to see the doctor when they're worried about them. And the evidence is that to date, pe- people who had to pay, that was a barrier. So mm-hmm. they didn't bring their children when maybe they should have and they just simply couldn't afford to do so. So we do welcome this. You know, it, it yes. will, particularly for hard-pressed parents, it will make it easier to, it removes the financial barrier to see their GP. You're very, power. very clear on that, dear mate, aren't you? That there's no, there's no question at all here of you as a GP or any of your colleagues being opposed to this expansion. You're just saying it's going to cause us problems. We like it, it will replace a financial barrier with an access barrier. You know, all the reports like we have say we should have 50 percent more doctors more GPs. So currently we've just over 4,000. So we need over 6,000 GPs. And that's, you know, so if you increase the demand for a service when we simply we don't have enough doctors to deliver that service. Now, again, we're working with the HSE. So if we can, like, we need more than double the number of GP nurses and our GP nurses across Ireland do a phenomenal work. And most of your listeners will know that, like they'll be familiar with uh, baby vaccines, flu vaccines, COVID vaccines, smear tests, blood pressure, blood blood tests. So our GP nurses uh, do a huge amount of work and we would look to double the number of GP nurses and increase the number of GPs by 50%. Yeah. So we need a very substantial uplift in the GP workforce. Because there is a, a know, kind of are. a commonly held myth out there, dear and I'll put it to you as a myth I've heard, that in actual fact GPs 
don't like having nurse practitioners or, uh, uh, about them, but that's not true. Oh, you know, we are heavily dependent on our GP nurse colleagues. We like we know that GPs do 21 million consultations a year and our nurse GP nurses do an additional 8 million consultations. Wow. So we have a Shaping the Future document, which we published a year ago. And in that, we clearly articulate as a strategic objective to double the number of GP nurses and to support nurses to take on enhanced roles, you know, so that we would have nurses with more expertise in and they're already out there but in small numbers, you know, with nurse prescribing, with nurses managing people with stable asthma, with diabetes, with COPD. Mm-hmm. Like the the role of nurses is expanding enormously and we welcome that. So so, so Johnny or Mary rings the surgery at half nine in the morning and say, look, I'm, I'm, I can't manage my sugars or, or whatever, or my arthritis is at me or whatever. The nurse, the nurse can take care of that a lot of the time. Like, there, there, we, we now have a structured care program for chronic disease, dealing with things like high blood pressure, diabetes, COPD, and it's a matter of matching people's, the doctor and or nurse's skill set to the patient's needs. So increasingly nurses are taking on very substantive roles and we absolutely support them in doing this. All right. Okay. Well, we'll see where it goes over the months and year indeed to come. You've been saying it's into the winter we'll see this shortage kick in with the access for the the underrates. Thank you, Dermot Quinlan, Medical Director of the Irish College of General Practitioners and GP here in Cork. 0818969696. Because you can now take your child to the doctor for free, you're going to. It's, It's human nature. So they're not going to have the appointments. Yes, they welcome the fact. Look, we should all be able to go to our GPs for free. But they're A, not out there, and B, can't be afforded right now. 0818 96 96 96. Oh, yeah. Now, I mentioned last week that if you want to amuse yourself, get one of these rotisserie chickens or these cooked chickens from the deli and do what the family does with it have the dinner, make the sandwiches, do the rolls and wraps and stuff like that and then all that's left is a little tray of bones and gristle and whatever put it out on the table in the back and watch what happens you'll have visitors feathered visitors of all kinds it's amusing to watch Noreen, it's a, a bird garden you have I've never heard of such a thing morning Hi, PJ. How are you? I'm great. What do you do? You don't put you don't put bits of chicken out for the birds, do you? PJ, listen now. <laughs> I put. I have a list here. What I put out. Go on. I have this the particular stand that you can fill with the the nuts. Yes. Fat balls. Mhm. There's a tray then that I put in. I mix porridge oats with raisins. Okay. Right. Right. I have bird seed. Right. Then I throw then on the the grass I apples that are gone soft, half the apple and pears that are gone soft, half the pear. Okay. Right. On the little bird stand then I have a bird bat. Right. And come the evening I couldn't tell you the amount of birds they were having a bat. <laughs> Yeah, my missus stopped putting out the fat balls um, be- this year because there was starling poo everywhere. Yeah, you're right. You are, you're right. Um, they love the fat balls. No, um, 
what I do then, my patio is, we'll say, concrete slab, so I have to hose it. <laughs> right? No. The only problem is, PJ, every morning on the roof, I could count, I'd say, 30 pigeons. Right. No. I read lately that they're dangerous in the garden because they can carry disease. I'd say pretty much every bird carries a disease of some kind yeah. or other, or you know? Yeah, but they go, they they completely take over my my bird stand and eat what they can. The pigeons. Okay. They do. Right. There are many crows coming in. I have loads of crows, and I have jackdaws. Well, there's the thing. You can tell the difference. I can. I have. Um, well, the starlings are very common. And the spadgies, right? Um, spadgies? Spadgies, they're the sparrows. There's a sparrow. They're oh, small right. no. <laughs> That was an old cork. That was an old cork word, spadgie. Spadgie, yeah. <laughs> they're the small little fellas. No, they're, 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 I love them. No, I have a few robins. No, the robins, I down at the end of the garden, I have a, a lovely tree with the food and the robins actually when I go down and go to fill the feed they're coming over to me right right, right? now I have a few green finches and I have um, you get the odd bullfinch really yeah yeah, there was a lovely poster in the Irish Times a few years ago that gave it away at the start of summer um, a, a, sort of an A5 poster and you could because you could see the, the the most common birds in, yeah, in the garden. Right. In the garden, how are you fixed with magpies? Are they because the ones coming to me are the size of bowling balls? I I I, I imagine it's because of the chicken I'm putting out. But well, I tell you now, if you see, that's a great idea. The chicken. Uh-huh. No, I have a cat, right? Uh, so yeah. if if I I have to keep him locked in, if I put out the chicken. Hmm. It's really easy anyway. No, do you know what I did one day, one night? Um, We were after going, getting a takeaway, and we had a lot of chips left over. We'll say at tea time. And I just put them out in the grass, and PJ, they weren't particularly very nice, but in about five minutes, every one of them were gone. It was like a scene from the film The Birds. Yeah, yeah. And do you mow the lawn or what do you do? Do I mow the lawn, PJ. I have a beautiful lawn. Yeah. Now, if you want to get rid of, we'll say, no, most people put their food in the food bin, in the compass. Yeah. But if you want to get rid of something fairly fat, if you put it out, it'll be gone. Now, don't put it out overnight on account of you know what. Mm-hmm. Small, so, small furry things, yeah. Furry things and big furry things. But um, I just, I adore the birds and I find them therapy. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? There's nothing, it's, it's, it's lovely to watch. It's lovely to watch them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, when I was on holidays, there's a, there's a particular, I think it, it's either a dove or a pigeon, I'm not sure which it is, native to the, to the Canary Islands. And they're really, really tame. The little brownie grey guys, and they've been, right. they're so tame. What they'll come up if you're eating toast in the morning, and tip the crumbs onto the table. They'll come up and sit as close to you as your cup of coffee. Yeah, I think that. And rob the rob the crumbs. They're brilliant. 
Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, I think that's lovely. But TJ, not everybody agrees with feeding the birds in their garden. I know that. They, I, they don't like the mess. I don't have any mess. I have a beautiful garden, right? Mm. So it's just the way you do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, PJ, make sure there's a lot of water out. They they drink the water and the, the bats then in the evening, they have their bath. Yeah, well, we, we always have a big bowl out the back for the dogs. So yeah. they'll rub out of that. They'll rub <laughs> out of that. I have one poor little dog, poor poor little coward. He'll sit there and he, this big crow will come down and the crow's having a drink and the poor <laughs> dog will sit at the other end of the garden going, can I have some now? <laughs> <laughs> Someone wants to know where you live, Noreen. You can do great things. Where do I, will I tell you where I live? Go on. I'm running off to work now. Um, I'm living in Blackrock. All right. Well, you you clearly have a lovely garden and loads of visitors, and that's nice, Noreen. Thank you, and have a good day at work. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. That's gas. That's gas. She puts she puts bits of old she two chips out, and she put out fat balls and bits of. Apples and pears and that p- t- potato skins, I've no doubt. The problem wouldn't there be? I know that because we stopped this year getting the fat balls. And herself loves the, the seed things. You know, cage, put seeds in something. The problem is it was everywhere. Like, the, oh my God, there was poo everywhere. It is what it is. 0818 96 96 96. Some of your stuff coming into us. Yeah, I was told to be careful with all the seed and the nuts because the dropped ones can attract rodents. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Marie or Mary. You will, that's the problem. If you leave the stuff out, it'll attract the furry friends. Now, look, I've dogs and cats. I don't have a problem with any of that stuff coming into me, but, but, but there you go. The... 25th anniversary I was nearly knocked sideways I was listening to a news report yesterday 25th anniversary of the Oma bombing I can remember it like it was yesterday I, I was it was a Saturday and I didn't used to work Saturday afternoons but I, did, I can't remember who far now but I, I'd agreed to cover the news desk for a colleague that afternoon a colleague who was gone on holidays and I came in to start work and brought me sandwich in and me coffee kind of thing and sitting down and this story started to emerge from Northern Ireland. It was horrific. Absolutely horrific. I remember at the time we had a Northern correspondent in the news desk, a lady called Anne Cadwallader. And I remember calling Anne during the afternoon to know was she filing some stuff. And the woman was practically in tears on the end of the phone. This was a hardened hack uh, from the north of Ireland. And she was practically in tears that afternoon. I'll never forget it in my life. Um, But John says here, watching the commemorations of the Oma bombing, and it's a disgrace that the only government representative was Peter Burke, a junior minister. What an insult to the people, given the central position of the bombing in our history. It deserved to have a Taoiseach or a Taunashta representing the government. John, for once, we're on the same page, my friend. Yes, a junior minister being sent to something as significant as the commemoration of the Oma bombing. If that is the case, if if we're both right, then that's 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 a bit of a failure, all right. 0818 96 96 96. Um, another John says that Noreen is a nice lady. 
but she's away with the birds. Boom, boom. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. I'm in love with the money. Answer 10 questions in 60 seconds to claim 2,000 euros. 2,000 euros. Yeah, money. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. I'm getting money. Money, 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 Corks 96 FM. I saw the sign as it was coming in this morning and I had seen it as well uh, last week and I thought to myself, that's going to be fun when it happens on the 14th of August. The closure today of McCurtain Street that closed about 15 minutes ago to all traffic and will reopen again, um, one assumes, if it's opening on time, at 4 30. Shane Clark is Director of Operations for the Victorian Quarter VQ. Shane, what is happening today? Why have they closed it? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Um, Short-term, seven-hour closure to do some essential uh, road crossings works. So there's never a particularly good time, but Monday, summer holidays, is uh, is as close to the sort of sweet spot as you get. Um, so, yes, yeah, we should be all done by this afternoon, and then traffic will flow freely thereafter. So the painting crossings on the road, is that it? No, it's services, so it's utilities. I, don't ask me to go into the details, PJ, because okay. I don't have them, but it's it's basically uh, the utilities that going under the road, I think, at two locations. On I see, I see, ducting and stuff like that. Okay. All that sort of Okay, so when it's, when it's, how close are we now, Shane, to the completion of something you and I spoke about a while back, the, 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 the new McCartan Street? Well, we're the council and the contractors are doing a fabulous job. They've pretty much finished on the northern side. Planters, so trees, foliage, you'll start seeing possibly this week, certainly next week, we'll start making a real impact there. Uh, the southern side was always going to be more challenging because people might know, but there are cellars underneath the southern side. So there's always a bit of a trepidation about putting a timeline on that. But we'll certainly be finished by the end of the year. We have jazz on our radar, so our conversations with the council and uh, the jazz festival are such that it'll be really tidy for that. When you you say the southern side, that's interesting, Shane. Where, Where are those cellars? So I think under under about, I'm guessing about two-thirds of the buildings there will have mm. cellars. So if you go into, say, McCurtain Wine, you go down into a cellar, and he'll have a cellar that extends basically out, not, not onto the street, but under the current pavement. So there'll be structural issues to make sure that they're supported yeah. in each and every case, and each and every case is different. Yeah, yeah, because I remember my, my pal McKenzie had a pub down there years ago on the other side, there near, actually what's now the Shelbourne, one side of the Shelbourne was McKenzie's, and he had a the yes. cellar going way, way down underground. You'd wonder, like, yeah, when, you do, when you do a lot of work in an area like that, you've, you've got to be very careful structurally, don't you? You do. And they, they knew that from the get-go. So the surveying was very good. So they've been into everyone. But I suppose the line is, look, you know, these are, these are, these are old structures. Yeah. Uh, they have to carry a lot of weight in the future, uh, particularly if there's any vehicles going to park on them where they wouldn't have previously. So, uh, look, they're, they're making very good progress. We're not hearing of anything uh, from any of the businesses or from the contractors who've been terrific. We're not hearing of any particular plans, but they're, 
that's the challenge on that okay. side, and that was always anticipated. With regard to traffic access going forward in McCourt, a lot of people asking, when this is all done, what will be the traffic arrangements? Will there be parking, for example? So you're starting to see on the on the northern side. So uh, you're starting to see some of the parking there. There's limited parking. There's certainly loading and there's disability parking. But much of the parking on the street is taken out and given back to pedestrians and given back to sort of tables and chairs. So a much more sort of European atmosphere sort of going forward yeah. on on McCurtain Street. Yeah. The traffic will it? It won't be two way, Shane. Will it? No. It'll be two way, PJ. It'll be two way. You're um, kidding me. So it'll, it'll. It's I'm narrow. I'm not kidding like. you. No, it. Well, look, they they have to comply. They have to comply with regs, and that includes buses, and that includes deliveries, uh, buses both ways. Now there is large pull-ins for the buses. You see, a, down near Thompson's, there's a double pull-in there, so there's no hindrance to the traffic behind it. But basically, the way the traffic is sort of orientated up to McCurtain Street should take a vast volume, sort of circa. 50% of the traffic volume out of the street. So uh, there'll be less traffic competing uh, for the space that's there. Yeah. So we, we anticipate a much quieter, calmer uh, McCurtain Street. You know, it'll be busy brush um, yeah. out. Because I, I, I remember and, when uh, they start to expand the pavements out and I thought, okay, right, that's down to one. And then I thought they're going to, what's two two is I mean, all I, hear, all I see in my head is traffic jams. But you're confident enough that won't be the case. Uh, look, I'm sure with all schemes, there's a bit of teething. Uh, but I think, look, the VQ, the business community, uh, are very pro, are very pro what's happening. Uh, you know, it's a place we want to see people, lots of tourists, lots of residents, lots of people coming back into Cork City. I was just in, uh, I just had the joy of being in Amsterdam for five days. And the crowds and the tourists in those sort of streets with that sort of atmosphere is just something to behold. And I think that's what we, mm-hmm. we can expect uh, over the next couple, uh, there's, couple there's of years. There's a big learning though, um, Shane, before you get to that point, because Amsterdam's been doing this since forever. There's a big learning. Like if you take it now, Patrick Street is going to be northbound, or Patrick's Hill rather, northbound, Bridge Street has a northbound lane, but what's going to happen? This huge change. People are going to struggle to get used to the new layout. They, look, they, they human nature is such that people struggle with a bit of change. But the other aspect of human nature is three months down the line, they forget all about the change and they accept the new normal. And I think they'll find that the new normal is significantly better. So come the come when the sun shines again in the early summer, I think we'll have something really special in Cork and McCurtain Street. You're very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> I am. Well, look, in Tuesday, I'm, paid, I'm paid to be enthusiastic, but also I live up the road and I've been involved in the city centre for a while. And I think, look, you're dead right, PJ. This is a learning. I think uh, there'll be lessons from McCurtain Street, but I think this mm. approach is something that we could see across the city. And it's part of a, you know, a significant change in Cork, yeah. uh, making it a real sort of a people-friendly city. And I think that's what we want. Yeah, Paul is asking a question. I'm not too sure whether it comes into your remit to answer this, but with regard to the closure today between between now and and 4.30. Why couldn't they have done it at the weekend, says Paul, or at night, I'd add to it? Uh, look, I'm I'm not the person to I'm not the person to answer uh, that one. I'm afraid, Paul. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure the council and the contractors looked at all the options and okay. the costs and so on and so yeah. forth. I was down there this morning before the closure. It was very very quiet, which was a good thing. Will there be a taxi rank where two or three taxis can wait for people? Say outside the Shelburne or outside the net. 
I, I doubt it, PJ, to be honest. I don't have that detail. I'm looking at what the what the our colleagues in the council said, but they didn't put that in there. But I would I would doubt it. But I, I could okay. stand corrected on of that. Of course, of course, yeah, because you know the way they they're, they're gathered there between say the Shelburne and the Metropole, and it's not an actual taxi rank. It's kind of unofficial, but. Yeah, it, it is, yes. It's going to be. It's going to cause. Well, look, I'll, be, I'll I'll certainly be down. I'll be down this morning, and we look. We've got a great uh, line of line of communication into our colleagues in the council, and they've they've been doing. Look, I think it's set up to be a real success. They'll be okay. out of there by by this evening. And all right, good. Uh, it'll, it'll, okay. It's all good for the future. Whoever's on the phone here to us is seems very have great doubts that that um, there will be any provision <sighs> for taxis, and is worried about that. Um, has that been discussed with? I mean, given the nighttime economy of McCurtain Street, there's a place there for taxis, isn't there? Should be anyway. Oh, sorry, but piece of paper. Well, you you weren't you weren't just referring to uh, you weren't just referring to today. Apologies. Look, there, there's plenty of pull-in bays and short-term bays there. One of the things we've got to ensure uh, for the proper running of the street that th- they are such that taxis can pull in and people uh, are people oh, okay. abusing those, so that we free up that. And that's look, and that's definitely something that we will be keeping an eye on. Okay. With our colleagues okay. The so there will be the spaces for taxis to pull in. Very good. Oh, yes, sorry, I, I misread your question. Yes, it definitely no, no. will be. It's okay. All right, listen, it's all by way of progress and people can complain, but at the end of the day, it is happening and we... You you say we'll all be very happy in the end, Shane. I look, come back come back to me in in, uh, in uh, sunny day in, in April and I'll, I think uh, your lines will be buzzing saying, look, it's a great thing for Cork. Right, look forward to it. Shane Clark, Director of Operations with VQ, Victorian Quarter. So, Bogorton Street closed from now until around half past four, closed to traffic. They're making us a lovely omelette. We've got to break some eggs. I don't like what's happening to Patrick's Hill. That's very um, selfish for me because I've been parking my little motor there coming into work for the last couple of years. And I'm wondering, oh God, will I be able to park there now? That's very personal, very selfish for me. But at the end of the day, it's happening all over the world. Cities are becoming more people-friendly, more walker-friendly, more bike-friendly. And you kind of, you can either live with it and get on with it, or you can moan about it till the cows come home and get absolutely nowhere. Willie at, um, oh, down at the Spar. Willie O'Brien down at the Spar says, the reason the work is done during business hours... I forgot this, Willie. Thank you. The reason the work has been done during business hours is because the street is partly residential and people could be sleeping, trying to get some rest. Thanks, Willie, for that point. Of course, there are apartments up and down. There's a hotel and and a couple of hotels and all of that because you'd kind of think, right, why don't they swoop in there at midnight and work till 6 a.m. in the dark of the night so they'll be drilling and jackhammering and all that carry on trying to put you... Thank you, Willie. That, that that clarifies that one. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox ninety six FM. Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Quartz 96 FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Baby, you 
96fm.ie The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call 96FM. Someone messaged me over the weekend asking me, what books did I read? Well, I was on my holidays and would I ever tell people that this fellow was going on his holidays later this month or next month or whatever so I, I'm not going to read them all out I'll list just some of them during the couple of days coming but I read 12 books on my I know I know I read 12 books on my holidays and I'm happy to see this morning a tweet from Andrea Mara uh, about her book No One Saw a Thing which I really really enjoyed on my holidays super book wonderful wonderful book about every parent's worst nightmare that's all I'll say to you Uh, she has now officially been recorded as selling 100,000 copies of No One Saw a Thing it's a super read Andrea Mara I have said before and I'll say it again I'm a huge supporter of the quality of Irish crime writing and mystery writing and in particular Irish women I just got Catherine Kerwin or Catherine Ryan Howard's new book uh, dropped on my Kindle at the weekend and I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that as well great work and Catherine Kerwin's new book uh, is brilliant as well give you more of those over the days to come 0818 96 96 96 is the number the text to whatsapp is 083 396 96 96 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie Returning to something we've been covering now for several months, and that is the situation with our retained firefighters. That strike, or strike, action, call it, is still going on. Um, these are the retained firefighters who are not actually full-time staff with the fire service. They're on a retainer, and they have to live within a certain distance of the fire station, and they have to drop everything any minute or hour of the day or night and just go and get to that fire station and get out and do what they do best. Put out fires and rescue people and help people. And it can mean running away from your son's under-14 soccer match in the middle of the afternoon. It can mean not being able to go to your friend's wedding because you're on call and you can't get cover. It, and, and there's much more besides that and they're looking for a better deal and have been looking for a better deal now for quite some time and it doesn't seem to be working out and the strike action could well be could well be upgraded over the days to come Jonathan Madden has been a retained firefighter for the last 23 years we were supposed to talk to Jonathan Friday but like that he got a call just as we were about to bring him to air. And I know, Jonathan, the nature of the business is that could happen in the next few minutes too. If it does, it does, and we fully understand. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, PJ? How are you keeping? Very good. Based in Mallow, Minister Dara O'Brien has put something on the table 
Um, but it's not going to work. Yeah, um, I suppose he wrote, I suppose it all kind of goes back to, it's, this is going on for a good few years, I suppose, look, um, and it went back to a Coil report, which was a company that were employed to do a report on the, fire, the retained fire service in Ireland, you know, and that report obviously needed a survey and stuff, and that that all that survey was sent out to all firefighters in, in the country, and they answered the questions to it and gave the information. And basically it came back with 13 recommendations, which one of them would be recruitment and retention was the biggest problem there. We can't attract people into the job because it's not attractive enough. And we have people leaving the job because they can't live off the job mm. for the demands that are there that you've to two and a half kilometers. And look, people have heard it all. I think actually PJ, people have probably have a super understanding of what we do now. I um, think they do. And, you know, we meet people in the street and they said to me, Jeannie, I, I know you're a long time, but I never realized that, you know, um, that thing on the side of your belt there, they go to pager. Mm-hmm. Like, just within seconds, you know, I was talking to someone in the coffee shop a couple of weeks ago, chatting about it, and next minute he, I got up and he was saying, where are you going? I said, I have a call, sorry, the beeper starts off vibrating first. And, you know, he said, and he was talking to my wife after in the way, and he said, you know, does that happen often? And she said, probably most weekends and a couple of times during the week, she said. Yeah. And my kids just know that, you know, that's part of the the, the job, you know. I, and distracted, know, I, I, know, I, know, I know that you went to that call out Friday, despite the yes, distraction. Friday, yeah, Describe yeah, what happened. Exactly. Like, uh, you're, you're just going uh, about your day, waiting to, waiting to come on with me as it was on Friday. Yeah, and, I was actually waiting to come on with you at the fire station and my phone rang um, and to the local guards. Um, and actually, it was uh, I was just wondering, they had rang me about something the day before as well. So I thought maybe it was just a follow up on that. And the lady on the phone just said to me, Johnny, she said, there's a very serious car accident. She said, are you, are you going to? And I said, 100%. But I said, we haven't been mobilized yet. We haven't received a call, you know. So within seconds of I speaking to her and I ringing our own control centre uh, with the urgency of it, the call actually came through mm. uh, and we proceeded to the call um, and we extricated the lady without giving too much details yeah. away. Uh, and the lady, within a very short period of time, the lady was re- um, removed to hospital and uh, by air ambulance and thank God, Later that day, we got information, and again yesterday, to say that that the lady's doing good, uh, and there was two kids in the car as well, and they're all doing good. And that's that's, 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 that's down to the kind of things that you and your colleagues do. And I've I've spoken to a few of you now over the last few months, Jonathan. And the one thing that you all say is that you love what you do, but it's getting harder and harder and harder. You know, we we, we're out here and we're trying to explain to people, and I suppose some people say to me, "Oh, look, there always." We, we don't want, I don't want the medal for my job or I don't want recognition for my job. I do my job because I love my job and I get up to do my job and I know my family are proud of the job I do. But all we want to do, PJ, is go back to work, do our job to 100%, be, be paid appropriately for our job, for the hours and the work and the conditions we give. It's actually driving people... It's driving stress levels through the roof now at the moment in, in, in the counties, in the stations, in families, in, you know, it, it's just, we're, we're probably 13 weeks at this now, yeah. something we thought we never would, you know. Um, I went away on my holidays for a few days. Thank God I got away for a few days to Waterford. And in fairness, when I was down in Waterford, I see guys standing out the front of the stations down around Waterford picketing. I saw signs around Waterford City support the retained lads, you know, um, support the people in the country that are, are trying to do the best they can. But the ministers have just ignored us. The government have ignored us. You know, it's like just, you will wait until we're ready to deal with you, yeah. you know, and, and 
Minister has said, good enough. any interview I've heard him give, um, he, he has said, Daryl O'Brien, that this can only be started out properly in the context of the budget in October and that something will be done in the context of the budget yeah. in October. And Is that enough? Like, he... You see, it, 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 politicians, <laughs> he, he spoke at the very start to say there was nothing could be done, that this could only be sorted out in, in the PA deal in the negotiations in October. And then he backtracked and it went to the Labour court and then there was a consideration made there. But there was percentages there and some people thought, oh, that, that's a great percentage. One person said to me, that's a shot. But I said, a, a high percentage of low figures is very low. <laughs> Jeez. And I said, I'm here, and I my my wage is 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 good for what I do, but we can't attract the people into the job. So eventually, there will only be me and a few other people there, and there'll be no staff because yeah. we can't get new people to join. And you just spoke a, a second ago there about people, the the um, apologies, I forgot, it was um, uh, the teachers. Teachers, you know, yeah. there's no young people who want to join that. It's the same. No young people want to join the fire brigade. No young people want to join the guards. No yeah. young people want to join the ambulance service. So there's there's a common denominator across the whole thing here, and this is going on for years. And um, just people are leaving, and and people have handed in their notice since since the strike has started. Like you know, have walked away. Because like, like, you're 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 there in you know, Mallow. You're you're attached to Mallow Station. One yeah. would think that there's enough work and enough call out work for you to be actually employed full time. If you look at a PJ, there is actually a load of work here, and we we do a lot of calls every year, and that's without probably being put out to all the medical calls and stuff that we could do. The more kind of community work we could do, um, and this has all been kind of held back over the years, and 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 could be developed more. There could be a lot of developments done in the fire service, and it has been recommended in this recommendation that certain stations would have to go to that level. And I, I don't even know if we if this all comes through and the increases get a bit better, will it actually solve the problem, PJ? Because I don't know if the job is attractive enough for the, the for young people to join it and sustainable okay. enough. And then they might have to review it again in a couple of years and say, well, look, Mallow has we just can't attract people in. We're going to have to move to a different system there, or yeah. you know, other stations. Yeah. You know, um, so it it really is getting back to the table. I suppose is the thing because it's just it's it's putting fierce mental stress on people. One thing uh, that has emerged too is, job. I, like you said, the number of people who genuinely didn't understand it. Like I was talking to someone there before I went away on holidays about this, and he said to me, "Put this straight now." He said, "A major town like Mallow." A major town like Mallow, all of its firefighters, he said, they're part-time and they're on call. I said, yeah, in a big town like Mallow. He said, that's bonkers. That's insane. That's completely insane. Yeah. And I couldn't, dis- couldn't disagree with him. Now, we also heard something about uh, social welfare payments. Yes. What's yeah, going on um, there, Jonathan? Can you put something so clear for that? I suppose, I suppose when, you, when you think about it, if the job was paying enough, we we shouldn't have people on social welfare. Correct. You know, Correct. this is my point. Um, I'm not on social welfare myself, but uh, some people are, you know, and that's because if you go to the smaller towns, you will have a smaller amount of call-outs, you have a smaller percentage of pay. So unfortunately, if they can't pick up work, they're then falling into this category where they need to go on social welfare. So the department and the social welfare decided because these people were picketing, they should be punished for when they're picketing. And they went to remove their social welfare, to, which is probably puts the food on the table because the fire brigade is, is quiet well, in some areas. Where. And it's the so, you know. So, so people, people who are on retainers in smaller stations, their income is supplemented by 
by social welfare. Exactly. And because they took up a placard, because they took up a placard, their their welfare payment was delayed. Am I right here? That seems to be, yeah, that seems to be what we understand because all of a sudden um, they started getting phone calls and letters and a couple of years ago, I can't particularly remember the minister at the time, but the minister did write it into law that the retained fire service was so unique because you're on call for a certain amount of money, but you can't, you, you will never know from one year to the next how much money you're going to earn that people fell into the category where they should be supplemented. So... Uh, that's where it, it, I think I can't remember Minister now, but it's a good few years ago, and we never had any issues with it. Anyone that was entitled to it got it, mm. and so on. But all of a sudden, then these tactics seem to have been thrown out there. Now the minister uh, came back there the other day and sent a letter back to apologise that it shouldn't have happened, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. you know, but it just ang- it just. It probably angered people more, you know. I mean, most of these people that are in the stations are t- having to force themselves to go down to the social welfare to get payments to pay to keep their families and everything else going because the fire service again, isn't enough, you know. Again, and, I mean, it's some of the bravest work you know, in our community. It's it's some of the most courageous work in our community, and to think that someone who works practically full-time as a firefighter has to get the dole to top it up. It's just, it's just disgraceful. Yeah. You had and a meeting of your national people, committee last week. Yeah. What was decided at that? So we had a meeting and um, we're kind of now since Saturday morning at 8am. Uh, it's called, um, we're in the dark. It's, it's, it's a kind of a, a dark process for a week where there's no communications with um, our management uh, or the control centres really to try to... Um, it's just, it's just, it's just the process where they felt that they had to put a bit of pressure on because the ministers aren't, the government aren't listening. You know, there has unfortunately been delays in response to calls where where houses have been lost up the country in different places. You know, uh, due to some fire services along the way being off the run. You know, um, being off call because mm. a lot of it is the way it is heading. If they don't sort this. They will fire stations will close anyway because there will be no staff there, you know. So if the government keep ignoring this and they do nothing about it, you will have a, a fluctuation of people leaving the job, and eventually fire stations will close over a period of times because there isn't enough staff there, and that's the fright, and that's what I can see, you know, in the last twenty three years of my job, when we had loads of staff, and there was like it was like nearly a you know a luxury if you got into the fire service because there were so many people you could be up against twenty or thirty people for an interview to get one or two jobs in a, in a station and it didn't happen for another 10 years because you were waiting for that person to retire. They didn't go, whereas now um, there's loads of vacancies, but we can't get people to fill the seats, yes. you, know? Um, you know? And that's unfortunately where we are. And I suppose we never how, thought how, we'd be 13. How nasty could this get? Um, unfortunately, the next level, if if this week finishes now and there's no there's no talks from the government or no willingness to to bring come back into the table with an offer, um, you're looking at for every week going forward. I think there'll be an extra station closed. So at the moment, you're fifty fifty across the country. So that's ten fire stations in Cork will be closed, and then for every week going forward, they're saying that they will close an extra one in each county. 
So that will reduce the cover to probably starting to 60% and up. And they, they're willing to go as far as 75%, which is already putting massive strain on the resources as and, it is. And for somebody who might be frightened, Jonathan, listening to us and will say, do you know what? I completely agree with that man, with every word he said. I completely agree with them and I support their industrial action to get paid more and get paid what they deserve. But what if my house goes on fire in the middle of the night? Who's going to come out to me? There will be a fire service come out, but the response could be a lot slower, PJ. And unfortunately, that is a no mansus. But like the fire service has been ran down as it is. Um, and now it's been ran down more and there's no one listening and it, it's the ministers are just taking no heed, you know. Um, but there is fire stations responding, but it could take a bit longer for them to get there, you know. Okay. All right, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Jonathan, thank you. Jonathan Madden, uh, 23 years retained firefighter. Loves what he does, station officer in Mallow. Uh, enough work for him to work full-time, but he's still part-time. He's still got to live within 2.5 kilometres of the station. He's still got to drop everything in the middle of a family day or family occasion or just be shopping. Gone. Go. Having coffee with a friend. Gone. Go. He could have been there with me the last 15 minutes. Gone. Go. The Friday... He literally was at the end of the phone waiting to talk to me. Gone. And that's the nature of the beast. And he's quite okay with that. Just pay them properly. 0818 96 96 96. On McCurtain Street. Morning PJ, could you ask the gentleman, I assume you mean uh, who we were talking to before, before 10, Shane Clark at the VQ. Could you ask Shane uh, about the new layout for visually impaired and blind people? who use guide dogs and white sticks. And that text came in after Shane was gone off the line, but I'm sure he's still listening and will keep it in mind when he's talking to the council. One thing I've noticed quite a lot going down in these newly paved areas are those, I think they call them sensory slabs. They're kind of a pinky slab, pavement slab, and they have circles on it. I always thought, idiot that I am, that that's a, decor- a decorative thing to mark the edge. Well, it is and it isn't, as they might say. Um, it's actually bumpy so that people who are visually impaired might pick up on it. But I also heard something really wonderful over the summer. Those pavement slabs with the pink colour and circles on it, they're there to be picked up. The the touch, people's sense of touch will pick them up and know they're at an edge and know they're walking on a pavement. They'll understand that, you know, that that's... But what I learned was some guide dogs now are trained to recognise these slabs and to guide their user onto it. Isn't that brilliant? That guide dogs are being trained to recognise and these sensory slabs. I thought, what a fantastic development. 0818 96 96 96. But as usual, I digress, don't I always? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. So a man called Patrick O'Driscoll who's now in his late 40s, has been released from prison in the last week and a bit. Uh, In 2017, he was jailed for 10 years with the final year suspended, which was nine. 
And of course, because of the way the prison system works with good behaviour and remission and all that, he is now allowed out. He was released last week. Uh, in 2017, he was found guilty of 61 counts of raping his eldest daughter uh, week to week, regularly. She was aged between 16 and 17. He denied everything, but he was convicted at the Central Criminal Court. His daughter is Ellen O'Driscoll. Uh, she's now uh, 31. No longer lives in Cork. Um, but uh, Ellen, it's good to talk to you. When when did you find out that Patrick was, was coming out of prison? Morning. Uh, good morning. I found out in March that he was going to be released in August. Um, and then the day before he was actually released, I found out for sure that he was getting out on the 4th of August. And that's a guard liaison who's been in touch. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With you since told you that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he told me that, yeah. Okay. Now, we're not saying where you are these days. I'll come back to that. You're well away and good on you. But how how did you feel when he heard he was coming out? Um, A lot of mixed emotions. Um, The fact is that he's out and... You fear he could offend again? Yeah. I got out of that situation. I always knew it was wrong. Um from a really young age because it was all like oh you're not meant to sleep with a boy before you're married this and that but then look what he was doing to me yeah um so <laughs> you could just imagine all the thoughts going around in my head at them stages um but i know one of my sisters did make a statement as well mm. but she just wasn't strong enough to stay away from the family like i just disconnected from them and stayed away. Maybe that's a point worth discussing, Ellen. It was an enormously courageous thing for you to do to come forward and talk about what he was doing to you. But coming from the travelling community, it was an even bigger thing to do because, yes, he went to jail. He was punished. You lost everything. I did. Yeah, I did. I lost everything. Um, 
they want me to brush it under the carpet and don't destroy the family name because all oh, the name means everything. Um, but nothing about what he's been doing. Like I was actually locked upstairs to a bedroom in a house. Um, and I knew that I couldn't stay there because that would have been it for the rest of my life. I wouldn't have been left out. I would have been left go nowhere. So I actually jumped out of a small bedroom window and I just ran and called the guards. And you hid while you while they were going for you? I did, yeah. Um, there's a, there, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a car dealership on Blarney Street. Mm-hmm. And I actually hid down in between the cars until the guards came because all the family was out looking for me to try get me back so that I wouldn't go. They didn't want me to tell my partner at the time either. They wanted it hidden from him too. So, but he was the first person that I told. Always they say the first person you tell, it's the hardest. How did you bring it up with your partner? Yeah. Oh, it was really, really hard. Um, where I found the words to actually come out with, I don't know. Hmm. But I knew that I just had to get the words out. Um, he took a hard as well. I told him take all the time he needs, and I understand if he don't want to be with me anymore. Um, but he, look, he didn't. <laughs> came back around. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the next day, I went to my uncle's. My uncle rang my grandparents. And then that's when my grandparents came to the house. And then, like, it was all within the space of 24 hours, I had everybody told. Were they shocked to hear it? Like, be- before it became clear to you that they wanted you to go no further with this, what was their initial reaction? The very first reaction, you can't say nothing to no one, the family name will be destroyed. And that was that was their first reactions. It wasn't about, oh my god, I can't believe this is after happening, or how he could do this. And no, there was there was none of that. No, that I'm only lying and all of this. And then, when you made it very clear that you were determined to go through with this, you went to the guards. You made a statement. You were determined to have him punished. Yeah, they pushed you out. So basically. If I would have stayed around them, I would have had to withdraw my statement. And I wasn't going doing that. He needed to be punished for what he's done, traveller or not. He's the one who'd done it. Mm-hmm. Were you nervous going to the guards, being a traveller, Ellen? Were you nervous going to the guards? Um, like When the guards first came and collected me off of Bellarney Street, um... Uh, they brought me to Edel House. Okay. And then it was about two, three weeks later before they actually came to take the statement. And then that's when I actually made the statement then. Yeah. Um, it took six years before it even went to court. Yeah. But yeah, I was nervous going to the guards from being a traveller and I knew that this was it once I've given my statement that basically that part of my life was over. Yeah. Were you happy with the way the guards dealt with this, Ellen? Oh, I was, yeah. Yeah, I I definitely was. Like the guard on the case, McDolan, he was there from the start 
to the end and he's still there today if I need him. He was the guy who told you that Patrick was coming out, yeah? Yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, he told me that. I, I don't want to dig into old memories, Ellen, but do you still have flashbacks to what happened? Yeah, um, you know, it's still, it could be days there. Um, and yeah, everything could just come into my head and it does. It gets me very angry um, because I'm the one who suffered it all and I'm the one who's still suffering. Now, I am happy and I'm very loved, but there's always going to be that part of my life. Yeah. Like I miss, I still miss my sisters and brothers terribly. Have you no contact at all? No. You don't even, not even a text message, no? No, there's nothing. Um, well, my, my sister that made a statement to the guards, I have had a little bit of contact with her, but I could clearly see she wasn't going to leave in the family. She was never, ever going to be strong enough just to leave and have nothing to do with them. Yeah. Because that's one thing that I knew that was going to have to happen. I waited until I was 18. Did you know, Ellen, that the minute you opened your mouth, that this was the end of you and the family? Did you know that? Yeah, the minute I went to the guards, that was that was the end of it. Not many travellers does go and report this kind of thing because it's a shame on the family name and the family name is ruined. And mm-hmm. like... It would have been all grand if I didn't go to the guards. So, you're getting on with your life. You're happy. You're loved. You're well away. Do you fear that he might, first of all, come looking for you, and secondly, find you? He's going to look for me. There's no doubt about it, because I've basically ruined his life by him not thinking what he's done to my life. And find me... I have a fear that he might find me, but not actually find me. Like, I have just a fear that the possibility of it, that it might happen. How do you mean find you, but not find you? He might just by chance come across where I am, even though it's impossible. You know, it's like no one's, I'm nowhere near Cork or anything like that. So, like, it's just, I'm well away. I have no Facebook. I'm not on social media. Like, no one knows anything about my life. Okay. And and where you live now, no one knows your background either, correct? No, no one knows my background. Um, yeah, so basically, like, I have a few select friends mm-hmm. that I trust with everything. There was one friend in your life at the time, and he broke that friendship deliberately. Have you any contact with oh, that person yeah. now? No, no, I have I have no contacts with the traveller community at all. Like that's that's just gone because you can't trust anybody. Just say uh, I ended up making friends with some of them. Before you know it, it's back to my family. You just you can't. It's just impossible. So I knew that that life was just gone. It's a very small community, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Like, sure, everyone's well aware. Cousins, Marys and the cousins, and basically everyone's related at this stage. So, like, it's just, it's not worth it. You know, it's just basically my own 
little group of people that I have. And that's a thing to treasure, Ellen, and I hope it, I hope oh, it continues yeah. for you. You wanted to make something clear about Patrick's family. The Odris- There's a different O'Driscoll here. And you wanted to make that point. You made it to, to Donal in the Echo. Yeah, yeah. So basically, when he was arrested, he was living in McCroom. Mm-hmm. And now does McCroom O'Driscoll's as well. A lot of people would have just thought, oh, he's one of the O'Driscoll's from McCroom because of his address. Yes. But he's actually not. He's one of the winner O'Driscoll's. Now, who are the winner O'Driscoll's? So, Bill the winner, um, he'd be my great-great-grandfather. He used to go fighting in all the circuses and he couldn't be bait. So, like, the winner's names was kept because he retired as a winner. So, that's how we all became the, o win- uh, the winners, O'Driscoll's then. I see, I see. And you, you say that in the traveller community, because there are so many people of the same name, it's that, that lineage is important. It is. It is because if you don't, like if you meet anybody, any other traveller, they'll say, oh, what O'Driscoll are you? Or, you know, and you then tell them what O'Driscoll you are because otherwise they don't know who you are. And then as soon as you say the name before the O'Driscoll part, then they'll say, oh, yeah, you're belong to such and such a whatever person. So the McCroom O'Driscolls, they're not your father's people. And you want that clear. I, I want that to be made clear. Lastly, how do you feel about him now? Um, do you know, I don't feel anything anymore. I just didn't, like, it came to the stage, I've always hated him. Always. Even as a young child, um, I've always hated my mother too. So I've came to learn there's no point in all of that anger and rage. Mm that just to let go like they've all made their decisions so I'm not going to let anger or hatred ruin my life Good and my final question to you if you had your time over again would you still have picked up the phone to the cars? A million times over I have no regret whatsoever even though I've lost everything I have no regret because I'm not the one that's done anything wrong and he needed to pay for what he's done so I would have done it a million times over Ellen you're a brave one enjoy your new life may it be a long and happy one thank you thank you for talking to me (laughs) I listen it's a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you Ellen, thank you. Have a good day. Have a good day in your new home well away. Thank you. That's Ellen O'Driscoll, 0818 96 96 96, a woman of great, great courage. Uh, Why is there a shortage of hospital beds? Why are there longer waiting lists? Etc. Etc. It's because our population is going through the roof. Take a reality check, people. If the population increases dramatically, drastically, then you need to drastically increase services. This is the reality of the situation. Well, when I get a text with take a reality check people in the middle of it, I decide maybe I'll do a little fact check. So what is the story with our population? Okay, Population of Ireland 2023, 
is given as five thousand five million fifty six thousand nine hundred and thirty five people. Roughly, right? Give or take one or two. Five million fifty six thousand nine hundred and thirty five people. So let's go back ten years to twenty thirteen, where the population of Ireland was given as four point five nine million. So that's not exactly going through the roof. Your point, however, is welcome. Thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's ninety six FM. Here's some of the winners from the Cork's ninety six FM Best of Cork Awards. Best of Cork Awards. Best of all. Best hairdresser. Three degrees. Best salon. Sarah Louise Beauty. Best barber. Peaky Barbers. Best bar. Murphy's Rock. Best breakfast. Lab 82. Best coffee. Cork Coffee Roasters. Best takeaway. Jason Munch. Are you ready, ready for the light? The Best of Cork Awards 23. The Best of Cork Awards 23. You're the best. Only on Cork's 96 FM. We're short teachers. We're short doctors. We also seem to be quite short of dentists. Um, Veronica, good morning. Hello, good morning, how are you? Hi, you've been in a a bit of bother for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, I've been trying to find a dentist. It's actually an emergency and we haven't found anything yet. Okay, where are you? We're located in West Cork. Okay, okay. And it's a wisdom tooth problem, is it? It's a wisdom tooth, probably, which is horrible because I think there's a nerve that's being pressed, and it's yeah. 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 I've, I've been there, been there, done that. I can tell you, it's no fun. Yeah. It is no fun, and, <laughs> and, and and it's 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 an hour's work for a good dentist, but it's getting it's getting at that dentist. So you've been trying all of the surgeries, yeah? Well, I had tried all the surgeries around me. I found one, but I don't drive, and it's quite far. And uh, the surgeon was really nice and she's on holidays and she's like, I was trying to, you know, book you in because it's an emergency, you know, but it's quite far. So, uh, yeah, that's another issue, you know. Yeah. It's um, everything's very central, you know, and like if you're in a small town, you have to go to a bigger one and all the dentists say we are not taking more patients. So you're like, well, so what I'm going to what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, what I, exactly. Going. What am I going to do? Yeah, because you're in pain. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. My son is in pain for two weeks and I'm like, I wish I was a surgeon, <laughs> you know, at this point, <laughs> you know. But even the local the surgeries will say, can you not fit, can you not fit us in just to take a look at it? But they can't. No, they can't, they can't. Because I, I was like, okay, don't take me as a patient, but I'm going to pay you for the appointment. Uh, just you bring me in, you know, I, I, it's an emergency, you know. And no, <laughs> there's no, no chance you can get anywhere, you know. Yeah. It's crazy. So, so where are you crazy. going to go? Uh, probably we'll have to try the other peninsulas because we're in one of the peninsulas in Winscork and we're just trying to see if we will have to, you know, manage some transport and yeah. get to another peninsula. You don't, you don't it. drive. So I don't drive. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's messy, and with the, you know, the. the Time the timelines of, of the transport. You're like, oh no, I won't make it on time. You know. <laughs> yeah, you, you could, and I have you, this child you, desperate, like seriously desperate. You could end up having to get a bus to Cork, say, or a bus further, a bus closer to Cork, maybe. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. You end up doing all your appointments in Cork and and it's like a whole six hour trip in a day and I'm working so I would have to bring my son there. How do I work? You know, it's that's like well, it's your son, <laughs> it's your son has drive, the problem. It's, just... it's your son has the problem. Yeah, it's my son. He's 18. So you know, he's oh, God, <laughs> yes. That's with, that's prime wisdom tooth season. Yes, it is. Yes, exactly. Poor so it's maybe it's the first one of, of many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is horrible. Oh, it's awful. He's literally banging his head against the wall. No, no. Like, oh, God almighty, anymore. don't, don't. I mean, I, I'm terrified of the dentist. At least I was until I found a great one a few years ago. But, um, and he's actually also in West Cork, but... But yeah, God. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a nightmare. I know. I had my my wisdom tooth. They came out when I was pregnant. <laughs> There's no way. Oh, to talk about talk about <laughs> lobbing pleasure on top of pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing, the package. All right. <laughs> well, look. Package. If there's any dentist, and bearing in mind you don't drive, if there's any dentist between Bantry and Cork on a route serviced by the bus. Who, who might be able to assist and fit you in for at least an examination to see what might need to be done. Yeah. They can contact yeah. us and we'll contact you. How does that sound? Yes, that would be great. Because this lad <laughs> is in a lot of pain. And he, is he going back to school yes. or what's he doing? Yeah, he's going to do his living search. And we have like one week to solve this because uh, he's already very stressed about it. <laughs> he's okay. like, no, I don't want to okay. this issue. Okay, if there is any no. dentist between here and Bantry... Preferably one on a bus route that you could get a bus to. Yes. Who would see a young yes, lad? Yes, definitely. Now, yes, it's you know you'd be getting the bus up to the city, but they they're ringing me here as as I've had calls like this before. Have you tried calling the dental hospital at CUH? No, that was one of the of the last things that I that might wrote be worth on, doing. That might be worth doing because yeah. they're on a bus. They're, they're on the bus route, or they're very close to the bus route. And they do see emergencies, and they're very good there. I know. I know. I sent. I someone went there years ago that rang the program here. He's in an awful lot of trouble, and they sorted him out. Yeah, we're, we're thinking of doing that. I'm. I'm planning it because you know I have to work. But it's, yeah, I'm planning of taking that lovely trip to court. <laughs> okay. All right, I'd say call them, pick up the pick up the phone, and call them, and see see where they fit you in because that's 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 no way to be to be. God, I, 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 yeah. even the thought of it, Veronica. Yeah. Good luck to you, and let me know how you get on. If anybody can help with that. And uh, as that listener has just pointed out, the dental hospital, she doesn't want to have to come all the way up to town to the dental hospital. But she may have to. Um, young fella's 18 years of age, prime wisdom tooth season. And he's in a lot of pain for the last couple of weeks. Nothing seems to be working. Need to get a dentist to examine him and maybe do what work needs to be done. Mom, Veronica, doesn't drive so if it's preferably on a bus route or near a bus route or convenient to a bus route, then you can contact us and we will contact Veronica. Ellen O'Driscoll, an awful lot of love and support in the room for Ellen. We'll podcast that interview later. Very brave lady. Um, Margaret says she should get a medal for what she's been through. And uh, anyone who turned her backs on her don't deserve to be called a family and I also had a message, a personal message. I'm very delighted to hear from Rosalind O'Callaghan. You'll remember Rosalind. She was on the show with me a few months ago. She's one of the women of honour. And Rosalind told me of what she went through while serving as a young 
soldier. And she contacted me to say, I was just listening to Ellen, amazing lady, powerful strength. She made me cry because I know her pain. I hope she's happy now. I really do. Well done to her. 0818 96 96 96 Join the conversation This is the Opinion Live With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology They're all ears, visit hiddenhearing.ie Cork's 96 FM The minds are live Hello Join the conversation Call 0818 96 96 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Something to think about between now and quitting time. If you go out of a Saturday night, how much are you likely to spend on a Saturday night out these days? How much? When you open up your phone and look at your Revolut the following morning or open up your wallet and see what's left of your shredded few bits of cash or whatever you have or look at your alerts from your bank and you go, oh my God. How much will you have burned your way through on a Saturday night? Have a think about that. We'll come back to it. Has Veronica tried her nearest HSE primary care centre? They have dental, but the lad is 18, so I don't know how he's fixed there. Maybe the fact that he's still in school might help him be seen there. Also, her GP might know more. And her son seems to need painkillers and anti-inflammatory. I'm sure he does. Um, I'm sure he does. But yeah, that's worth advice for Maybe Maybe ring her local primary care centre or the dental hospital. But she certainly needs to, that lad certainly needs to be seen. 0818 96 96 96. Back to the retained firefighter situation. Ed Buckley is a retired Firefighter Ed, you're monitoring this, uh, and I can imagine, having spoken to you many times over the years, I know it's one that you find very, very sad. Good morning to you. It is very sad. Good morning. It is very sad and very boring. More importantly, yeah. because I think if I may mention what you mentioned, what you said yourself at the very start of all this, you didn't want to be going to work some morning announcing the fatality of somebody in the Ballincollig area where there's a, a dispute out there as well. Correct. And quite honestly, as a parent, as a grandparent, I would be very worried if I was living in that area. Or I was listening to the station officer in Mallard this morning, and he summed it up very, very well. They're wonderful people, retained firefighters, all that. They're very one dedicated people. And the one thing that concerns me, quite honestly, is that the government have been had on the television for some time back there asking people how long, average, how long can you survive in a smoke-held atmosphere? Mm-hmm. And it's three to five minutes. And if you're out there waiting for something from Cork City to go to Belling Colleague, or you're waiting for retained services, they're not going to get there at that time. But what can you do in the meantime? And I worry seriously because I think the public, both in all of these areas that have been affected by this uh, dispute, they should be the ones that are complaining and protesting. Because I wouldn't feel happy living in a situation like that or an area like that with the, with, with the way things are going. I think also, like, I mean, the people should realise that fire is an ever-present danger. It doesn't make an appointment with you. It'll happen out of the blue, no matter how careful you are. You have to be monitoring all the vital signs. But when something happens, you need urgent response and urgent attention. And what the people don't realise, uh, this is a personal view, you know, as yes. I said, after been 42 years in the service, the fire service has had to change over the years to meet the, the, the requirements of the public and, and society. Mm-hmm. Not alone do they attend fires, 
There's road traffic situations, river rescue, ambulance assist calls, oil spillages, special services, building collapse, you name it. Yeah. Fire services there to be called for emergencies. And we cannot afford to be hanging around and waiting to get a call that somebody has lost their life or seriously injured in situations. And I can, like all of the colleagues that I've worked with over the years and people who are still present in the service, I have witnessed situations over the years and I've seen situations in Bellincolic which have left a mark, for want of a better word. Yeah. And I wouldn't like to see that happening again you, you, or indeed in Mallow or anywhere else. You, you saw it all, Ed, in your 40 years service. Did. I, I think a lot of people that haven't didn't realise... Uh, until this all came to the surface, the nature of the retained fire service. I, I don't think they realised that their local firefighter was part-time, on call, ha- could could get an interruption at a their child's uh, soccer match or yes. couldn't go to a wedding because they could... Married to the job and had to live two kilometres away from them. Absolutely. I think thousands of my listeners, Ed, would not have known that six months ago. That is very true. That is very true. And maybe in some respects, now this will highlight it. But the retained firefighters, it's, they don't go in there to do a job. And I mean that sincerely. I've met them over the years as well. They don't go in there just to do a job. They go in because they're passionate about the work that involves. They're, they're lifesavers. They're up to everything. And they're, they're requested to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And yes, they get pittance. They have no life. They can't leave their county. They can't leave their, their area. I mean, who wants to be in a situation like that? Because regardless of how much they they like their work and they love their work, they have families that lost them yeah. and they have children and they can't go away with them and they can't spend a couple of hours them at the seaside or whatever. And that is a fact. Yeah. And when you meet those people at situations, they're totally dedicated professional people like the same, every firefighter in the country, full-time, retained, whatever. They all have the same standards. They all have the same training and they have to go through all the same requirements. One, and one, to have them treated like that is not right. One man told me that he was so proud to see his son selected for the local, we'll say, under-16 soccer team. Yes. And he went to see the match and he had to get permission to bring his car to the back of the stand so My that God. if that thing went off, he could jump into the car. and Like, that's no life, Ed. It's not at all. Not at all. And and he's committed to do that because you never know what type of situation you're going to meet until you get there. Yeah. It could be a very trivial situation, but you can't take a chance. You could end up with a fatality or a serious injury. Yeah. And, and again, coming back to your many years of experience, is it good enough in 2023 that in a major town, Jonathan's in Mallow, in a major town like Mallow, it's retained? Well, personally speaking, uh, I think it should. It, it, there has to be a complete overhaul because they cannot continue with all this retained situation. And even it, the situation in Ballincollig is, is atrocious, quite honestly atrocious. Mm. The fact that there's no people out there manning that place. Yes. And Mallow is, a, is turning out to be more like a city. I mean, the days have just called Mallow Town or gone. So if you look apart from the, the, the residents, the people residents who live in these towns, you have a lot of commercial premises. Yeah. You have a lot of nursing homes. Yeah. You have bed and breakfast where guests are staying and everything else. And that, they're all, that's all high risk. I know we do our fire prevention and we do our fire safety and everything else, but fire is an ever-present danger. Yeah. Who would have thought that we've had major fires in the past couple of years on our doorstep with devastating consequences, mm. even where full-time brigades were? Do yeah. you understand? And you, you just, you cannot take a chance. And 
you know, life is precious. And yeah. what price for safety? That's the way I look at it. And do you because have the same fear as I expressed all those weeks ago that we will I be here indeed. some morning talking about a fatality? I do indeed. Absolutely. And I don't believe... I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Because I'm going to tell you seriously, I listen regularly to the new reports and the road traffic, which is out of this world at the moment. And the fire service responds to road traffic. They have to extricate people out of cars, get them into hospital as quickly as possible. And road traffic accidents happen in Mallow as well. They happen in Bentley, which they have again. Well, Jonathan was due to talk to me Friday and he got the call. That's go. it. Yeah. There you are. And that's it. So you, you can't have a situation where people have to leave their dinner or leave water, run away down to the station, get in and head off out. Do you know, that, that's, that, that's draconian. And we've had to change with modern society and every service must do the same. Mm-hmm. And I think there's very little respect for emergency services today. I do believe that all over the spectrum, mm-hmm. whether it be ambulance, fire, or whatever, the guard, guardy. And I mean, you, you go out there, sure, I'm, I'm passionate about uh, speed on the roads. <clears throat> and if you adhere to the 60 kilometre speed limits going down the road, down Kettle, you're putting your life in danger. Mm-hmm. Because there's something that comes behind you at 100 kilometres and already die off the road. And yet there's no way out there to police those feet, apart from the vans, whatever the case is, through no fault of the guardie. Yes. Because they're just not there. And I think the government will have to shake up and have a good look at what's there and, and be very grateful, be very grateful for the retained service for over the years, past and present. Are you sure you've known them for a long time? And they've devoted their lives to the service. And that's the truth. Indeed it is. Ed, as you devoted 42 years of your life to keeping us safe in our homes, Ed Buckley, retired firefighter, and I hope you're enjoying your retirement, my friend, because you earned it. 0818 96 96 96. There's the reality of it. There's one of the most experienced firefighters I've ever spoken to in Cork over the years. Many times we spoke, Ed Buckley, somebody's going to die because of this. 0818 96 96 96. Mick says it's an absolute disgrace that we have retained firefighters getting a pittance of 8,000 a year and the HSE bigwigs earning nearly a million. I mean, we don't know the half of what's going on. You know what? There's a thing. It's in the news this morning. I was listening to it coming in in the car. I said, what? There's a number of them. I thought that the salary for the gaffer at the HSE, Bernard Gloucester, that's a colossal salary. The man before him was earning about are being paid, rather, about 400000 I don't know what Bernard Gloucester is being paid, but it turns out now that that's not exactly the highest. If people in the HSE, a number of them, earning the bones of a million a year. And yet, we can't hold on to the firefighters. Something wrong, isn't it? Something desperately wrong. 0818-96-96-96. PJ on dentists. It's impossible to get an appointment with a dentist that accepts a medical card. I paid PRSI all my life. I now need work done on my teeth, including partial denture work. I live in Cove. My dentist doesn't take medical cards anymore. He gave me a number to ring in Finbar's hospital and you'll get a list of dentists that do take the medical card. They said there was no point because they wouldn't take on new patients. So what do we do now? Yeah, there's very little available anyway in terms of dentistry on the medical card. But any practices that do take them are full up with medical card patients. 
The shortage of dentists is almost worse than the shortage of doctors. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Teaching. Teaching jobs. Rachel's a fourth-year student graduating this October looking for a teaching job at the moment. Only five options coming up in her subject. Um, she's subbing, maternity leave, etc., etc. Not suitable for a new teacher who still has to make the hours and another exam to cover the fifth year. Options out there are poor and not suitable. Just to say in a nutshell, many of the jobs on offer are not conducive or attractive to newly qualified teachers. You need hours to progress and what's out there is only a couple of hours here and there, like subbing and maternity leave. And that is why so many new teachers are heading off uh, or down a different route or whatever if what's being offered doesn't help them progress in the teaching side. Thank you, Rachel. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we started, got a, got a query there in the last while from a listener who was wondering, do you need uh, CO2 gas connectors in your house? We've all been told about smoke detectors. You put them up and they pay in the ass and the battery starts to go on them. But smoke detectors, are, but CO2 gas Detectors and there's a carbon monoxide gas detector as well that we have in the in the front room at home. So let's see what detectors you actually need in your house. Dave Dave Gibbons is a plumber and a, a friend of the show for for many years. Dave, morning to you. PJ, how are we doing? Your holidays went well. You know what? Yourself, no, to like to like it never happened. No, you know. <laughs> I know. I know the feeling. I'm cold again. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what? What do we need now? As I said, right. I smoke detectors in the house. I have a carbon monoxide detector in front room. What does one need? Right. If you have a gas system, you need a gas leak detector close to the boiler. Mm. Then, in your front hall, or we say if you have a two-story house. In your hallway, you need a CO2 alarm and you need an, another one upstairs in the landing. Right. Same with a back boiler. You need the CO2 again in the house up and down. And then, as you say, you, the one that you have in your front room, you want one of those in the, where, the fire, where the fire is lighting or the stove is lighting. Yeah. yeah. These all came in about a year ago, but it's just a coincidence now that the government brought out this yoke that... Um, you get 500 euros back on taxes if you have a rental property, if you're renting a house. Yeah. And I just feel that might be a coincidence is that when they, these people registered, they're now sending people around. Now, somebody said it was Grand Thornton. They're sending examiners around and they're checking all the houses to make sure you actually have this in place. Oh, so to it's claim the tax rebate. Oh, I see. I think now it might be a coincidence, but I doubt it. And you see, there might have been a lot of houses that are rented that haven't been maybe gone through the books. I don't know. It does happen. And when you applied for the rent, we'll say, of the 500 back in your taxes, it might have turned on the spotlight for people that were taking money and not putting it to accounts and that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it might be a coincidence. But you need this stuff anyway, as, as you know, in case there's an accident in the house. 
Yeah, carbon monoxide is what we're trying to detect here. Yes. Yeah, because carbon dioxide is all around us. It's just that some some people don't, don't even. I think even even one very well known builders providers website is calling it carbon dioxide when in actual fact it's carbon monoxide. Monoxide. Yes. Yeah, and in That's a heating system, Dave. In a gas heating system, and look, the, the, there were those who want us to take them out and replace them with other things like heat pumps and all that kind of stuff. And sure, where, where, where are you going with that? That might but, never happen. Hmm? Yeah, some time. people are going to have... It's a waste of time. Is it? We, we, come, we, we, we come back to that. But gas gas systems, right. a, a, well, a well-maintained and well-serviced gas system can be quite safe, is quite safe, isn't it? They're perfectly safe if they're providing the, the installations done properly. And especially now with these new boilers, the condensing boilers, if you took the face, the casing off a boiler, which you can do, like, but if you take that off and look into it, most of the stuff inside was plastic. Mm. Like, in comparison to the old boilers, there was a heat exchange and everything inside in those, you know. But the new ones, they can't give trouble, really. Yes. You know? Yes, they're pretty serviced every year. Yes, yes, and the service the, the service, only t- service only takes an hour, and it's you know yeah. So just come, come back to the thing. Bucks, There's this drive on to have us all change over to heat pumps and all this kind of crack. And when you start looking into it to do it properly and to get a cent back on a grant, it cost you thousands. Is, is it ever going to happen, Dave? I don't think they can bring it in. I mean to say, I have a house now that's 12 years old. Right. Timber flooring downstairs, the big thick stuff. Yes. Now, if I had to bring the heat pump, I'd have to take out all that timber flooring. I'd have to put the pipes underground and have underfloor heating. Mm. Now, that's one thing. That's going to cost me. It could cost me 20 or 30,000 at mm. least. Yeah. Plus you're out of the house. Now, you, you then have the heat pump on. It's a nice frosty morning, but there's plenty of sunlight coming through your windows from the south. Mm-hmm. For heaven's sake. Yeah, and you, you can't open your windows to leave the heat out because it'll bring on the uh, it'll bring on the air to water pump. <laughs> so you're locked into a situation where you'll have no fresh air in the house. Now you can put a system in, all right, that clears the air, like you know, but it's costing you money. As once you open the window, the heat pump will come on full to try and heat it up. Oh. And these heat pumps, like they're on, they're on six months of the year. Yes. You can't just turn around at eight o'clock in the morning and say, "Ah, oh, will you heat there at ten? It will not. We take two days before it heats up. Yes, and, and and they're sucking electricity out of the wall like it was going out of fashion. Oh, gee, could stop. I mean, so it would be all electricity. And the trouble is, what will happen then? There won't be enough power there. Mm, mm. Instead of getting the power sorted and then start bringing in all these new rules, you know. Are we going to get but to a point, though? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Are, they, are we going to get to a point, though? Look, I have a, I have a boiler in the attic in Good Nick. I get it serviced every year. A good guy comes out to do it. Um, but... Like, am I going to come to a point in the next couple of years where if that goes pop, um, someone's going to say, well, actually, no, PJ, you can't have one of those boilers now. It, it, it might come in. It, it might happen. You see, right, remember the old boilers in the boiler house long ago, you had the flue sticking up. Most of it was uh, asbestos. That's right. And, or stainless steel that went into a chimney. That's now, right. You can't, they're gone off the market now completely. You can't get those anymore. What you have to get is you have to get a condensing oil boiler. We'll, we'll stick to oil now to make it simple. Mm. You have to get a condensing oil boiler and you have to take the flue out of the boiler house. Mm. Now, some boiler houses have room to do it. Other, other boiler houses don't. 
So to bring it to proper flu out of that, it might cost you seven or eight hundred euros oh. on top of the price of the boiler. Oh God! Right, right. And and the grand scheme, as we've and people have done spreadsheets for us, and you know, the grants, the the maximum grants are, are barely barely scratching the surface for this stuff. But they won't scratch the surface. They won't scratch it, no. Yeah. Because, you see, you might get a grant of 700 euros for a new boiler, but you're, by the time you finish off, you have to put in thermostats, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have the smoke alarms. Mm. We're talking over 1,200 euros. So you, you, the grant is only 700, we'd say. Mm. So you're... You're out of pocket. Away. You're out of pocket. Well, come, come back to where we were. Yeah. Carbon monoxide detector, important. Where in the house would we, would we, would we put them? One in the hall... Mm-hmm. And you have another one upstairs in the landing. Okay, okay. In terms of insurance, do you have to have stuff in for your insurance to be? You valid? do. You see, this is all pigs in a row. Mm. You have to have this. You have to have that. If you were fire in your house or somebody's gas, for God's sake, it might never happen. But if it did happen, if you hadn't this stuff, you, you possibly have no insurance. Yeah. Do they need to be? I mean, I know our one just came out of a packet of two batteries in the back of it and stuck it up in the mantelpiece. Do, do you do you need to get the these detectors professionally installed now? Well, a gas man will do it for you. Mm. Um, we're getting a lot of calls now at the moment. Um, inspections coming off. They're inspecting all the houses now that are rented. Yes. Not private houses, yes. as far as I know. So, I have a fellow there now who's on to me during the week. He's, he's a test for the 1st of September. Mm. He needs all this done before they come out. Plus, he also needs his history on the, on the service of the boiler. Mm. I see. In terms of grants trouble. and stuff and, and insurance... You know, I mentioned it, the DIY, the battery-operated one that I just put up on the wall myself. Is that enough yeah. for the tax and the grants? Oh, and that's all enough. That? Oh, that's enough. Oh, that's it is, yeah. Providing the batteries now are good enough, you know. Okay, okay. And putting them in yourself, you can, can't you? You can really, yes. But you're better off to get somebody to do it to give you a good advice of the best place for that's it. The, that's the best You might put it underneath your stairs, which is useless, you know what I mean? I understand. I understand, yeah, yeah. Right. And then I think they bring out another thing now as well. You need a, f- a fire blanket and um, different things like that for rental properties. Yeah. Like if you had a rental property at the moment, by the time you pay off, by the time you have it up to scratch, you'll, you'll make no money out of it. Yeah, There's exactly. too many regulations. Yeah. I know, and you're not the first. You're not. You're not the first tradesperson to say that to me, Dave. Over the last while, they were regulated out of existence, and all the old, all the old ways, and all the old knowledge. They look at you now as if to say you're mad. Yes. Yeah, mad, yeah. And like your insurance, like you have to have insurance in the region of 13 million. It's like, it's going to cost you about a grand a year, but you have to have it. Yeah, I know. Any business like, you know, 13 yeah. million is off the top. All right. Okay, Dave Gibbons, thank you very much. Yeah, with regard to putting in those uh, detectors, you can buy them in a buy them in a proper place like Cork Builders or Screw Fixer, somewhere like that. And, and if you need to seek advice as to where to put them, seek advice as to where to put them um, and make sure their batteries are up. We, we'll be going around now the house um, once we start lighting fires and stuff coming into the winter and we will be checking all the batteries and all that. It's a pain yet. <laughs> well, see, funny, when one of them starts going in the middle of the night, do you know the way a, a smoke detector in particular will let you know it's going and you're walking out, you're, I know this happened, you're going out to the toilet 
at four o'clock in the morning and it's dark and you're half awake, right? Half dopey and you can barely find the toilet. You don't want to put the lights on because you'd wake everybody else, right? And then, beep, and you'd lose your reason for a dodgy battery. 0818969696. But as always, I am digressing. On Friday, I had a wee chat with George Hook about women in sports, uh, rugby, soccer in particular. He spoke about his granddaughter, who's a very uh, promising young gymnast. But we talked about the Women's World Cup, the soccer that's on at the moment and runs until next weekend, I think it is. Around the 20th is the, is the final. But George was making the point about the, what he saw as an unfair focus on the women's relationships, sexuality and looks in in media coverage of the World Cup. The London Times said that distinguished newspaper informed me last week that there are 800 women playing uh, in in the Soccer World Cup and 15% of them are lesbian. Who gives a hoot? Like, is the London Times going to look at the rugby in in September and tell us how many men are gay? There is a danger here that because it's women, there is a danger that there is an overtly, by the media, concentration on, on, on looks and sexuality. And that is bad for women's sport. Now, women are not entirely blameless, one has to say. If um, one player doesn't shake hands with another player uh, after the match, and then we read in the paper, it's because there's a the split over the girlfriend with, who's, with whose girlfriend or whatever, it doesn't help their cause. So I think what we have to do, PJ, and remember now you're talking to an absolute total supporter of women's sport. Yes. Dial down on it. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what their private life is like. Now, I agreed with him. I have no interest in a sports star's private life. I really haven't. Um, I want to know what they can do on the pitch. What they do off the pitch is, is a matter for themselves. Trish, you were listening in London. Morning. Morning. What Morning. did you think of what George I, had to say? Uh, he is right. But I suppose the focus is on now because the World Cup's on. But that handshake refusal was done before with John Terry and I think his name was Wayne Barnes when there was they shared his girlfriend, shall we say. <laughs> yes. Uh, Yes, so so he's maybe the focus is on, but I, you know, like I, I was saying to you, you know, the women have got the guts to come out. They don't care what anyone says. Yes, yes, yeah. But but does it matter? Is what George no. is saying. No, 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 no. But I, I'm I'm always fascinated when I'm watching them and thinking, how can they come off the pitch after ninety minutes and their hair is perfect? <laughs> you know, I do tw- I do twenty minutes on a bike and I look. Like I put my finger in the, in an electric socket. I want to know what their hair products are. Yeah. Do you think, though, and that was another point, because before I, that, I led into that part with a question to George about just having seen some posters for the World Cup, and I thought it was very much focused on the women's looks, far more so than it would be in in a men's yeah, situation. Maybe, maybe maybe that's their brand. They're getting paid to promote a brand. Yeah. Could could be, you know. I mean 
I, I, I'm guessing. I'm just loving it. I don't care. I'm just loving it. And I just hope they win on Wednesday. Oh, of course. The English are still in it. Yeah, playing, playing Australia now. I know. I know. Everyone's going to be Australian. That's going to be a tough one, though. Oh, very. That keeper of theirs. Mm. She is amazing. I think, I think the majority of them play here anyway. We've seen them. We were so lucky to go to the Euros last year, the final. Yes. And the atmosphere. It's so different to watch women's football then there's no cursing that is the one (laughs) there was no cursing you know you go to a game oh you know it's bad it's bad but Wembley was a dream last year really what I thought was was fascinating to see was the huge crowds in the stadium and the big 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 television audiences like 10 years ago 10 years ago this wouldn't have happened not in the slightest and they wouldn't be paid you know how well they are paid either um <laughs> 10 years ago they wouldn't be i mean there's a lady that um she is on sky sports saturday and she's she was saying that back in her day you know it, they weren't paid it didn't pay them to she had to have a job on top of playing for i think she was playing for arsenal or something mm-hmm. arsenal women's but um yeah so the the focus on the on the relationships and particularly the relationships of oh, the pitch goes on. it goes on it goes yeah. on it yeah. goes on if you're in the if you're in the public eye you know it goes on and i mean that handshake i mean i did read i did read when that handshake was refused but i'm sure they must do it here too because they both play yeah but you see we we, we don't play. know how many men in the premier league for example take the premier league they haven't got the guts to come out yeah, we don't know how many of them are getting. Remember, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, you yeah. remember that rugby player, that Welsh rugby player, when he finally came out? Oh. Now he retired and then came out. I do, you know, and his and name has gone from he my head now. Slaughtered. I can see him in my head as well. He's usually on on BBC, like for the rugby for the Six but Nations. Isn't, isn't it a Cup, shame, but... Trish? Isn't it a shame? Awful. In twenty twenty three, that it even flipping matters. Garrett mm. Thomas is the I man mean, we think of. Garrett Thomas. I mean, yeah. the way he, the way he he did it, it wasn't fair on his wife and children. Mm. I didn't think that was that was fair. They should have. I just remember feeling a bit uneasy about that at the time because everyone was just going, "Oh God, his poor wife, his poor kids." But then they might have known. But then it's like Philip Schofield. Oh, you know? don't go there. <laughs> well, there you go. Look at the. Look at the male scrutiny on that. And he's not getting slaughtered anymore. It's Holly getting slaughtered because she's dumped him. (laughs) Moved on to somebody else now. But come back to something to do with the way... And again, we don't know how many men in the Premiership are gay, so we've no way of knowing. But what has come up, I think, in the Women's World Cup is, well, you've, you've people playing on the same team who were in relationships with one another and and that yes. can lead to tension. Now, that could well be the case in men's football. We don't. We just don't know. But that's what I was saying to you. Well, now, yeah. But, I mean, it, men do it. Ryan Giggs, you know, don't covet your brother's wife. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's off you the know? pitch. And that's the, off the pitch. But the, but the John Terry thing and the Wayne Barnes, they were best mates. The four of them used to hang out together. That's and right. then... John Terry and Vanessa or something or Veronica or something beginning. Yeah, they. Um, mm. So it does happen, and there was that famous handshake 
when Terry put his hand out and Wayne Barnes just walked on by. Yeah, 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 mm. I remember that. That was that was a cringe that's moment. that's what stuck me. When I was listening to him on Friday when he was saying, oh, who cares, who cares, who cares? It's not exclusive. Nobody actually does care if you've had a fallout and if you've, mm. you know, you've dumped her and she's gone off with someone else. But it, has, it isn't exclusive to women's football. True. True. There's a there's you a know. there's a there's a name that comes up in in the memory. Um, do you remember the story? You will, Trish. You follow sport. The the, the story of Justin Fashionu. Do you remember him? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah he was, gay guy. He that's right. He was the first him, 1990 first footballer to declare he was gay, and then he died by suicide in 1998. Remember, he was questioned by police after someone accused yeah. him of, of sexual assault. Yeah, but, I remember his. No, that was his brother. Was it his brother? The other, yeah, the brother was, was it, or was that Stan Collymore? See, (laughs) it's as much gossip, (laughs) there is as much gossip there. There's as much gossip there. There is, it's just because the world, now wait a couple of weeks, 8th of September when it all kicks off in France, you know, there's going to be headlines about X, Y, Z there. Do you know what? You're probably right. You're probably, mm-hmm. you're probably right. All right. Okay. Yeah. Trish, good we'll talking be, to we'll you. Thanks. To... We'll be talking all things rugby then. Great. Great to know you catch up with us every day on the Opinion Line. From London, that's Trish Costello. 0818 96 96 96. And she's probably right, you know. We'll, we'll have, during the Men's Rugby World Cup, someone will come out and someone will be in a relationship and there'll be a jilted wife somewhere and a pissed off girlfriend it'll happen it will it will but point I think George's point on Friday was it it takes from the action on the pitch to be reading all this stuff in the newspapers and I can't disagree with him there I have no interest in the sex lives of the rugby players that I will be following next month I have none Really, none, no interest. I don't care what they do. Um, and actually, very few gay players have come out, particularly in rugby. And we had Garrett Thomas, and of course, the, the greatest referee of them all, uh, Nigel Owens, um, spoke out in, in years gone by about how difficult it was for him to come out as a referee. Um, actually, again, another little uh, diversion. Uh, Nigel Owens has got a fantastic uh, podcast that he does around about every week on the rules of rugby and uh, various matches and how he would judge decisions on the pitch. It's fantastic. Yeah, there's a few. Here's a list. Here's a list. Uh, Fergal Barry, the man of the man of lists. Xander Murray came out, uh, Scotland player, 2022. Jake Daniels, Thomas Hiltzberger. German player, Robbie Rogers, American player, uh, Ashley or Aisley Pitter, uh, Liam Davis, 2009, and Justin Fashion. Few and far between. Few and far between. God, it's a discussion that could go anywhere. 0818 96 96 96. Your top and worth would be more than welcome. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Remember, I was talking to Noreen earlier on this morning about her bird garden and how she welcomes the birds with food of all kinds. She throws out half an apple and half a pear and 
whatever's left after the breakfast and the fat balls and the seeds and she has so much fun watching all the different kinds of birds coming into her garden and I was talking to her about how I'd throw the chicken carcass out and the be coming from all sides and it's very amusing and fun to watch. Then we get this message. I have multiple neighbours who feed the crows and it's so frustrating. They scare my young children and make a mess in our garden and we can't sit in our garden in peace or sit out to have a meal. Each to their own I suppose. 0818 96 96 96 I think a garden without birds is a, is a fairly bleak place. Staying with the animal kingdom, David Roach, it cost you 15,000 quid to bring four dogs back from Hong Kong. I'm reading from Sarah Horgan's piece in in The Echo. Um, Why would you want to bring them all the way to West Cork? Good morning. Good morning. Because uh, we were moving there ourselves and we couldn't abandon them. Right. So we had to fly them on airplanes to Frankfurt and then to, to you know, to get them here. Uh, the other option was to put them down or maybe cook them lightly and have them as a kind of rare beef substitute, which we didn't think was... You are joking, I hope. Oh, God, you'd never know. Like the lady with the crow shit coming down in her garden. <laughs> you'd never know. But come here, four dogs, Aoife... Amore, Principessa and Tiffany, all rescues. Yeah, and one of them with three legs, Tiffany. Three legs. Did you you find them while you were out kayaking or what? No, uh, there is one that was found when we were out kayaking, but he was here already. There, There are two other ones that were here before this four arrived. There were once 13 we shipped over here in the beginning, which is about 10 years ago. Two of those are left. The rest died natural deaths or, you know, if you call cancer a natural death, that's one of them. But um, there's Gogo uh, and uh, um, what you call her? Ah, uh, yeah, Aoife, yeah, which, which were there already. Mm-hmm. So they're not rescue dogs. What's the other rescue? What's the other old dog? And you're going through the list here in your head. <laughs> no, I've got Sandy. <laughs> so there was Gogo and Sandy were already there. I see. They're the survivors of the 13 we shipped here wow. about 10 years ago. Wow. And now we have another four. Okay. <laughs> it's, You'd have to be mad. Well, well our, our love dogs very, very, very much. I mean, you pick them all up as as, as rescues. Like Principessa yeah. was on the side of a mountain with a broken hip. Yeah, Broken pelvis, actually, but uh, it was yeah. more serious because it's the both hips go. Wow. But yeah, yeah that's right. I mean, the vet bills are, and alone for that must be astonishing. Astonishing because they have to be operated on. You have to pay, like us. I mean, you know, it's not a hip replacement, but it's a, you have to pin the pelvis together. Yeah. But they're all, I mean, th- th- this is not a cheap hobby. Yes. I mean, uh, I, I really, it's kind of almost in the private light aircrafts parked at Cork Airport of the rich by the time you finish paying for them every year because they're old. So, like myself, I'm old too. Uh, You know, the the medical bills just mount up to something wrong every bloody day. (laughs) How do you get them back here? So you come through Frankfurt and into Dublin. Why can't you come into Cork? Because uh, the Department of Agriculture, which, as you know, is a very wise and... uh, 
munificent uh, institution will allow you to take your race horses in through Cork where they'll they'll get an officer to go to the airport and certify it as four legs and four hooves. But in the case of a dog, they won't. So you have to go to Dublin where the dog officer will certify oh, that the dogs have the correct paperwork and so on. And then you have to put them in a truck probably house them overnight if they get in late in the afternoon there's a very nice shelter in dublin does this and then they come down to 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 us you know the four hours or whatever it takes in a lorry so the next day there's a weird one so you can bring a racehorse or a cow through cork airport but not a dog yes, or a cat or, or a dog if if the dog is uh, is from the eu but these are chinese dogs <laughs> So they don't come from the EU, so they can't go in through court. So, so, so a dog that's not from the EU might not have four legs in the table. Yeah, oh. well, we had one with three legs, you know, uh, and a very odd tail that came in, but it came in through Dublin all right. Yeah. But, I mean, you have a sheaf of paperwork, which is about uh, 40, 50 pages deep for every animal. For everyone. Uh, coming this is, devo- this is devotion, David, if ever I heard it. No, it's not really. It's mental insanity. It's called being loony. <laughs> well, you know, I was being kind, you know. Are you worried? Are you very charitable? <laughs> Especially for the poor lady with the with the crow shit landing on her head and that of her poor children <laughs> and uh, the crow's being fed next door. I mean, you and you said uh, each to his own. <laughs> I, I'd say that was some social solution you avoided. Well, I mean, I wiped down, I, I, had to, I have to wipe down my own outer deck about once a month. Because of the birds, oh, but true. still, I wouldn't have a garden without them. Do you know? They're, it's not. The, it's oh, not. No, the, but I, come I back to, to the dog. So, yeah, are they yeah. all back now, or are there others going to come? That's it. That's Over. it. Finished. Back home. No more dogs. Until someone rings you and uh, says, "David, we have another one." Ah, uh, yeah, but you know, once you start in Ireland, the phone will ring as often as in China, because I mean, you've all the greyhounds, you've all the mistreated dogs, the sheep dogs, the collies put out on the side of the road because they're not neutered and they have pups yes. and they put the pups and all that. I mean, if you start here uh, you won't finish we already have a pony and two goats abandoned uh, who are here yeah. uh, so I mean uh, you know, there's no stopping at the type of animal and the, it'll fill up just as quickly in Ireland the, the rescues are in a terrible state with people oh, they're who have taken dogs during COVID and then dump them post-COVID. Yeah. Briefly on Hong Kong, like animal cruelty, you hear terrible things. I mean, you made a joke there at the start about lightly, lightly grilling the dog. Do they eat dogs in Hong Kong? No, not in Hong Kong. They eat them in China. They even have a dog e- eating a festival in Yulin. Yulin. Is that still uh, Of course. Oh, yeah. And uh, they, have, they have, of course, the Filipinos eat them, but more, more Indonesians... The Thais are a major exporter of dogs for eating all over the place. No, it's still very, very common in Asia, but it is illegal in Hong Kong. Right. They don't eat them. That was a kind of being lighthearted. I could, of course, walk three miles out my door over the border and eaten them. Wow. That, I'm almost know, afraid to ask that. if you've ever tasted it. No, no. I haven't. Uh, and I, I've tasted a lot of other things I shouldn't have tasted before I wised up, but not dog. Okay. I would or cat. I, I mean, they eat cats too, cheevit cats. Delicious, oh, really? I'm told. Oh, oh yeah. Lightly grilled cheevit cat is lovely. You have to take the fur off. Of <laughs> David, I never quite know whether you have your tongue in your cheek, but I've enjoyed. <laughs>
<laughs> I have greatly enjoyed our conversation. And to you and how many dogs have been back now? 13, you said. Uh, we, uh, no, I, in total, we have taken back over time 13. But this shipment was four. The costs have gone up immensely for flying them out to Frankfurt and then flying them to Dublin and then bringing them here. So it's four. And that's the end. That's all we had. All right. Um, that's Hong Kong cleaned out now. But if you go back over time, uh, if you take all the dogs we shipped here, uh, you can call it 30. All right. Listen, thank you for speaking with me. Read about you in the Echo. Sarah Horgan wrote a piece about it. A most amusing gentleman, uh, David Roach. Thank you, David. 0818969696. In regard to Mary Jean, uh, your missus as well. There's a collision on Glasheen Road. Ken Parrott says there's been a crash of some kind on Glasheen Road. Don't know a whole pile about it. Uh, Damien sent us a video uh, from his mum's house. She feeds them chicken, chips, seed, fat balls, and they love the birds. PJ, you should watch Back, back to the Wild. I, I might. I might. And lastly, Dermot says that my friend used to fly his dogs from Sweden to Spain. Unfortunately, one of the dogs got dropped 20 feet onto the runway. It took two hours to catch him. Meanwhile, the runway was closed. He now drives the dogs to Spain. I imagine he would. Thank you, Dermot. That's it. Program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. And we'll talk to you later. Tomorrow, that is, just after nine. Corks 96 FM. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.